Welcome to the Woodshop Life Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on the craft of woodworking. I'm Guy Dunlap from Guy's Woodshop, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host and friends, Hui Huin, also known as the Alabama Woodworker. Hey, Guy. Hey, Hui. And Sean Walker, creator of Simple Cove. How's it going? I'm well. How are you, Sean? Pretty good. Good. This podcast is intended to answer questions from the woodworking community and give you some of our perspectives on how we get things done in our own shops. And just so you know, we this show does live by your questions. So send some questions in, guys. We, we have some. We have enough, but we could always use more. And uh, we also have a Patreon account right now. And we have one level, and we're simply asking for a small donation just to try to cover the costs of bringing you this podcast. So please go to patreon.com backslash woodshoplife. And I'd like to say hello to our newest patron, Kevin Martin. Thank you, and we sincerely hope that you give us your support. So let's get right into it. Hui, you've got the first question. Okay, this question is from broken underscore pipe. I imagine that's probably his Instagram handle or or Facebook handle or, or whatnot. Hey, guys, new listener here. I love the general genuine vibe of the show and ha- and of course all of the knowledge. I build barn doors, blind mount shelves and mantles out of my garage to support my family. I recently had to switch to plywood for most builds due to cost of solid wood, one by and two by materials. My question is, I live in Tampa, Florida and my wife hates that our pool table our pool table room has become the lumber storage room. Now that I'm using sheet goods and don't want to break them down far in advance of projects, what are your thoughts on ways to store plywood in a non-climate controlled Florida garage? Also storing solid woods as well. Oh, and my material is always pine or poplar. I would love your thoughts on this topic. Humidity, drastic weather changes hourly and no climate control. The garage is a dedicated yet messy workspace. Uh, so prior to having any climate control in my uh, garage in Alabama, uh, I, I was storing wood in there as well. And uh, obviously having climate control is better because it's it's a little bit more um, closely uh, acclimated to the environment in your house if you've got an air conditioner that's drawing out humidity. I have d- stored plywood in a non-climate controlled environment and not had issue. But I have heard of specifically of really, really high humidity uh, affecting the bonding of the veneers in plywood. Have, have you guys ever experienced it? I've never experienced it, but I've, I've heard people having issues with that. I've never personally experienced it. No. Same here. Okay. I don't think it's something I would worry that much about if you were uh, dealing with uh, or using a lot of plywood. I have not experienced issues with it. I have had issues with uh, plywood warping or kind of twisting or bowing. Um, But I'm not exactly sure if that was due to the climate or due to the manufacturing of the plywood itself. Where I bought the plywood is in a warehouse that is also not climate controlled. So maybe it is because of the weather and um, the the humidity. But again, where I'm buying it from is it's not stored in, in a climate controlled environment either. Now with pine and poplar, I, I would imagine that you would probably see more effects due to that, but probably not due to, I would imagine after you get down to machining, planing and everything, and then transporting it from your shop, which the material, I would hope you're allowing it to acclimate and kind of partially uh, piecemeal your, uh, your machining operation, your, your, your uh, milling operation, uh, going from your shop into your house, I would imagine you might deal with some effects there. Guy, what are your thoughts on the the plywood versus the pine and the poplar? Well, I, I don't live in a humid environment like Florida, so yeah. I, I, everything that that I'm about to say is just from what I've heard, read, or what's considered best practice. 
And even then, I don't know if it's considered best practice. Anyways, so the the, the plywood, uh, if you can lay it flat mm-hmm. and have weight on top of it to keep it flat, the yeah. better off you are. Good point. Uh, if, you, if you stand it up, it is going to have a tendency to bend a little bit. Mm-hmm. So keep it keep it flat if you can. As far as the lumber goes, um, I store all my lumber vertically and haven't had issues. Mm-hmm. But then again, I am not in that type of climate. If I was in that type of climate, I would worry about it bending mm-hmm. from and you know taking in moisture and you know moving a lot more than it would if it, it didn't have that extra moisture. So again, I would I would probably store it horizontally and and try to keep weight on it so it it stays flat. How about you, Sean? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I definitely agree with what's been said so far. I don't live in a humid area as well, <clears throat> um, and I'm just thinking back. You know, how do the places that I get that I get lumber? How do they store this? Because they're not mm-hmm. you know air conditioned areas. They're one of them was a barn, uh, multiple barns, and the other one is a big old warehouse. And <clears throat> like I said, the plywood is is stored flat, and then they yeah. stack other sh- other pallets of plywood on top of it and get it as they need it, um, and then stack it back up. Uh, the lumber one place hold, uh, lays it lays it flat on pallets. The other place uh, it's vertical. But the key that I noticed in both places is that there's plenty of airflow in there, so they open yeah. up both their bay doors and the back door on the barn and, and just have plenty of airflow through the area uh, to help with that, um, to help some movement of air to help with, you know, the humidity and whatnot and, uh, or the temperatures and all that stuff. That's about the only thing that I can add is that I've seen the, both of these places that don't have, you know, uh, any climate control whatsoever is plenty of air movement, laying the plywood flat. Um, the vertical lumber rack has not been an issue at the place that I bought the lumber and he's had, mm-hmm. you know, he's had several, several folks out there that are really knowledgeable in this area to check out a setup and that, you know, it's, it's worked really well and everything that I've gotten from him. But that's, that's about the only thing I can add to that. How, how humid is it where, where you live? Wade? Ooh, it, it gets, mm, I mean, is I, it, it's very humid, humid. Like Florida or maybe not as humid as Florida, but, I mean, pretty stinking close. <laughs> it okay. gets really, really humid here. Um, right. I know I mean, it that can when, be humid here, but it's not yeah. like a. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, it's summer. That means humidity. Yeah, here you walk outside, you start sweating um, immediately, even if you're not doing anything, just because there's just so much moisture in the air. It's very mm-hmm. hot. Do you? Uh, you're when you buy plywood, do you uh, store it vertically as well, Guy Sean? I store it. I store it vertically. Because yeah, I, I don't, I don't have the room to store it flat. Yeah, yeah. same here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a place where I keep it. Um, yeah. My garage is climate controlled. Yeah, but see, yeah. I'm I'm pretty good. If I'm going to buy sheet goods, I try to break it down right when I get it, like either that day or um, or the weekend of, just so that it's not, uh, you know, I put it up on sawhorses and I I start breaking it down to uh, the sizes that I need just to because again i'm i'm limited on space like all of us it, it just takes so much space to have it flat so if i can break it down sooner rather than later then I, it gives me more maneuverability around the shop yeah all right all right, all right well i guess i have the next one here this is yep. from ethan hey guys i just want to say thank you for the amazing content that you guys put out i found you guys about four months ago and i've been going through the old episodes to catch up I was wondering if you guys could help me out and point me to a good, affordable biscuit joiner. I would love to get a Festal biscuit joiner, but it's just out of my price range. Is there any way you guys can recommend a biscuit joiner that is worth the best bang for his buck? Thank you again for the awesome content, Ethan Thompson. Well, um, I don't have a lot of experience with biscuit joiners. I have used a couple, three different ones, three different brands and models and uh, hopefully everybody that's, that's listening is familiar with the biscuit joiner, but it's a little, a little, or they call it plate joiner, a little, a little handheld power tool that has a small round blade, like a little baby circular salt blade that cuts a crescent shaped hole that an oval shaped little 
wooden biscuits as they're called are glued into to help for, you know, help with joinery and whatnot. I've used three different brands. I've used the uh, Harbor Freight, which I think I tried once and threw it away because it didn't work. Um, a Ryobi, which worked really well. It was an older Ryobi, but it's built, I think it's based off of their Ryobi 6, or it's really similar to that. And then the uh, Makita PJ7000. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the Makita is a is a really good, a really solid biscuit joiner. It comes in about, I think, 190 bucks, give or take. You know, it's it's got about, uh, from the specs, it's, it's 11,000 RPM, has, um, you know, a max cutting depth of three quarters of an inch, but it allows you to adjust six different depth adjustments on that. Uh, mm-hmm. It's got a nice rack and pinion uh, adjustments for the fence. It's just a, it's a, it's a pretty solid, uh, biscuit joiner that, that I think that would, uh, would work well for you. I think that that, that is one that I no longer have, but I think that that would be, if I were to pick one up, that's definitely the one that I would go with. Again, I don't use the biscuit joiner a lot. I haven't used them a whole lot. Um, and I don't use them in my day to day because I use the domino. Um, but the, the, the Makita is a, is a really solid biscuit joiner and it gets, you know, really good reviews and has all really good settings. Um, I can't remember if it allows you to stick a smaller blade in there for the FF size uh, biscuit. I can't remember that. And, but it does obviously to work with the zeros the tens and the twenties. And it's, it's probably there. You could probably find cheaper biscuit joiners, but at 189, it's going to be way cheaper than a domino. That would be my recommendation for a solid biscuit joiner that's going to last you that's uh got a pretty good reputation and comes in at a pretty pretty fair price uh is the makita pj 7000 uh, again i wish i would have i can't recall if it'll accept a smaller blade for the ff size for real narrow pieces that's my recommendation we what a uh, biscuit joiner if you have any at all would, would you recommend for ethan so i've used the dewalt i sold it it wasn't bad I think the reason why I sold it was because I had gotten a domino and I thought, oh, I don't need a biscuit joiner anymore. And I was wrong. A biscuit joiner is extraordinarily versatile and very useful. Uh, and if if set up properly, actually is faster and easier to use than the domino. I didn't use it extensively, so I, I, I can't say if whether or not it was great. It was did fine. I mean, I was just joining boards, edge joining boards. And that's a majority of what I use the biscuit joiner for even now. Actually, no, I should I shouldn't say that. I, I do a lot more joinery with the biscuit joiner now. I have also tried the porter cable and the open fence on the porter cable. I did I just didn't like it. It didn't have enough, in my opinion, didn't have enough of a surface to reference off of. And now I'm using a Lamello biscuit joiner. And the Lamello is an expensive machine it's i i i, I can't what is it like eight nine hundred dollars i think guy do you remember uh, do you have a classic x or the i don't i have the tw- top 21 but i'm thinking the classic x is eight or nine hundred dollars around seven eight hundred dollars yeah seven eight hundred dollars mm-hmm. it's one of those things when you when you you, you think about it and it's like oh seven hundred dollars so expensive and then you get your hands on one and then you think Oh, okay. I get it. I know why it's worth why it's it costs that much now. It, it's just an, an extraordinarily robust machine. It's extremely accurate. Uh, it's really great on miters. Uh, whereas I, I I don't know how to explain it, but the miters on the Dewalt and I think the Makita. I might be wrong on this, but I think maybe the Makita actually has um, an enclosed fence that you're able to put the miter on don't quote me on that because I've never used the Makita, but I know that the the Walt that I had, you had to reference the fence on the inside of the miter, not the outside of the miter, the classic X and the top 21. And honestly, all uh, Lamello biscuit joiners reference on the outside of the miter. And that's a better, more secure way. Yeah, you're referencing the point. That that that's part, better. Yeah, part you're going to see pretty much. Right, right. It's a much better way of referencing off of the miter. The 
The Makita looks pretty cool. It looks like it's got some great reviews. I'm looking at it right now. It's $190. I've not used it, so I can't attest to it. But man, if you're really, you know, getting into it with a biscuit joiner, you are kind of getting close to the price of a Domino. But I, I, I would not of uh, I, if you I, buy a Lamello. Not if you right. buy a McDonald's. <laughs> right. right. No, 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 absolutely. <laughs> but I would hesitate to say that I don't use the Festool Domino the same way I use the Biscuit Joiner. For instance, I, I, I don't use the Domino. I mean, I have used the Domino for edge jointing, edge glue ups, but it's not the greatest. And I, it's just easier to use the Domino or the, um, the Lamello. Uh, biscuit joiner for edge glue ups. It's just a lot faster. It's a lot more accurate. Guy, I know. I, I'll go ahead and and pass it on to you because I know you'll know a lot more about this than I do. Well, I don't know if huge... I know more about it, but I I I, I bought my first biscuit joiner. I want to say, nineteen seventy five. No, no, it was the early <laughs> early nineties, maybe. Oh, I was close. Um, what was uh, what was popular at was, the time? Well, at the time, it wasn't a matter of what was popular. It was a matter of what was available. Okay. At the at the time, the only thing that was available for a long time was the Lamello, but they were you know very expensive. And then Dewalt came out with their first biscuit joiner. I think I paid around four hundred dollars for that machine. It looks exactly the same as the ones they make today. Wow. But, it was $400 then? Yes. However, <laughs> I still have that machine. If you compare that machine to the machine they make today, the machine they make today is a toy compared to that one. Uh, it's all cast steel and mm. cast aluminum, and it's very robust and very, very heavy duty. It's crazy to think the the biscuit joiner on, uh, of course, it's just it's on Amazon for the Dewalt. It's one hundred and seventy. You paid four hundred for it at the time. Yeah. Well, well, but I mean, it was a different machine back then. Yeah, and no, I can I, test I this it. because where I work, we use a lot of biscuits because that's how we line our tabletops. We're, you know, we glue up. You know. We'll get orders for 50, 100, 200 tabletops. Yeah. And they're all biscuited together. So mm -hmm. we had DeWalt's, the newer DeWalt's, and they had a really bad failure rate. I mean, really? we had like three of them and one or two of them were, was always broken. Mm. Our, and there was a DeWalt, there's a DeWalt service center right by our, our shop. And we, you know, drive it over there and drop it off and pick it up in a couple of weeks. And mm -hmm. it was just a pain in the butt. And they, but they didn't, they didn't work real well, mm. the newer ones. Mm -hmm. So we have Makita's now. How are and those? And we do not have that problem anymore. Oh. We okay. bought two Makita's probably... I want to say maybe a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we've had either one of them has taken a dive on us yet. So I can attest to the, 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 the durability of the Makita. It's still compared to my really old DeWalt. I mean, it, the, the, my old DeWalt, I could almost compare it to the Lamello Classic X. Hmm, okay. I mean, it's it's a good machine. I at home I have a Lamello Zeta P2, mm -hmm. which is you know an eighteen hundred dollar machine. Bisque, yeah, well, it, it, it's more <laughs> it than a biscuit. More than, it does more than biscuits, right? And right. I don't even want to start getting into that. But we have at work, we have a Lamello Classic X that we keep in my department. The guys in the production shop don't use it. That's strictly yeah. for, the, for the furniture shop. And I'll tell you, that thing is just awesome. It's a tank. It is so accurate in comparison to even, well, even my old DeWalt. And that's the thing. If you, if you 
know how to use a biscuit joiner correctly or a domino correctly, you have to introduce it to the wood in a, in a, in a couple quick, easy moves, but it has to be referenced off the face and off the top. Mm-hmm. To do that, it's just, it's just really accurate. I really can't recommend the Lamello enough. That's if you have a big budget. If you don't have yeah, a big he, budget. Ethan doesn't. He's talking less than a domino. Yeah. I, I can I can attest to the durability of the Makita. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to sit with Sean on that and say Makita. Woohoo! One for one. Yep. Stick around. Will he be two for two? Find out. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right, Ethan, hope that helps. Sounds like we all settled on the Makita being a solid uh, biscuit joiner. Um, if you can swing for it, there's a couple other options. So. <laughs> Guy, what do you have for your uh, first question? I have a question from Jacob, and Jacob says he's a long-time listener, third-time questioner. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you, Jacob. I'm building a trestle-style kitchen table that will have a painted base. Not Not my first choice, but happy wife, happy life. My question is this. What do you all do to eliminate seams when painting? spackle putty or some other product my seams are tight right and smooth but when i've painted projects in the past the seams remain visible for the trestle table legs i would like them to be seamless and look like one piece any insight is appreciated fyi i'll be spraying the paint so um i do have some experience with this and Typically, if I'm trying, if I'm painting something, in the past, I've used the plastic wood filler. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's called Fama Wood. Mm. Um, At work, we do some of that painting too. And what we use at work, we actually use automotive Bondo. And it's wonderful. It dries Mm. in like five minutes. It sands like a dream. Mm-hmm. And paint works really well on it. Is this the Bondo wood Bondo, filler? Bondo. Bondo, no, Bondo. No, Bondo as in auto filler, auto oh. body filler. Yeah. Bondo. Okay. Yeah, like it's a, a two-part. two-part thing. Yeah. Yep. And it works really well. It doesn't shrink. It fills in everything. And like I said, it, it dries fast and it sands really easy. So that's what I'd recommend using. Yeah, I double that and completely it? agree. Yeah, it's uh, it's stinky stuff, but works great. Yeah. Sands great, nice and hard. Uh, so I also I- used it on my um, my spoil board on my uh, CNC. Instead of if I have a few areas, I just put some of that over it, sand it smooth, and, and then use mm-hmm. the CNC to uh, you know surface yeah. the board, and then it's good. So I I've used the. Uh- like the sustainable uh, wood filler. Um, but I'll, I'll have to try the Bondo Bondo. Not the Bondo wood filler, but the Bondo Bondo. Bondo Bondo. Yeah, the, problem, the problem with most wood fillers is, is they when they dry, they shrink. Yeah. Okay. And that's why I use the plastic stuff. The family wood, plastic wood. Okay. But, it, but, but, but your top choice is just the Bondo all-purpose putty, whatever that is. It's Bondo, or the Bondo. Bondo uh, body filler. Go to yep. Advanced Auto or one of those places and find the Bondo or go okay. to Amazon. Yeah, uh, they, they have it at Home Depot too. I'm sure. I don't have a Home okay. Depot uh, near me is why I said that. I don't know if they have it at Home Depot or Lowe's. That's an auto product. Yeah. yeah. Okay, um, so get the get the the body filler. Okay, I, I will get that. Yeah. It's cheap. I mean, what is it? Uh I don't know. I don't have a. I don't have a price. Twelve dollars for like <laughs> twelve, thirteen dollars for like a pound of it. <laughs> yeah, when they told me to use it at work, I'm like, "What? I ain't using that crap." And then yeah. we started using. It. I'm like, "Oh my gosh, this stuff is great!" Because we had some painted bases that we had to work on. We had, you know, we start filling in that stuff because paint tends to cavitate, and yeah. you can see it really, really well in in, in little tiny cracks and stuff. Mm-hmm. So we mm-hmm. filled it with that man. It just paint just laid down really nice on it. It was beautiful. We How long does it like take to harden tables. before you can sand it? Oh, like ten minutes. 
Oh, really? Okay. Oh, yeah. gosh. All right. Yeah, it, it spread. It cures in just twenty minutes, ten or twenty minutes. Yep. Oh man. Okay. It's a. It's yeah. a. Yeah. It's a. It's, it's pretty stinky stuff, but works works great. Sand, right, well, sand it and paint it, and I'm sold. Well, I was hoping that'd be a little bit deeper question than just a few seconds, but I think that we all agree. Yeah, <laughs> I learned something. A good way to go. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I've got the next question. This one is from Colin. He says, "Hey, fellas, thanks for addressing my last question on fuzzy cutting boards." Sean was correct. Woo-hoo. I was over sanding after. Look at you, man. That's two. I was, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> I was over sanding after each raising of the grain. So many ways to shoot yourself in the foot. It seems I want to ask your thoughts on the particular, the practical limits of miter saws. I'm sure you've addressed similar before, but as guy often points out, what haven't you addressed before? Maybe not from this angle, perhaps Uh, there are folks who do anything and everything with a miter saw and those who wouldn't cut a uh, precise miter with one to save their lives. In my journey thus far, I think the most important thing for novices is to appreciate the full capabilities as well as the limitations of their equipment. Assuming a novice user, one with a reasonable quality miter saw and table saw, one who has learned to keep both reasonably well calibrated, but one who has yet to be collecting aftermarket devices such as advanced miter gauges, etc., can you point to any example of types of operations that represent a limit or exceed the limit of what a novice should reasonably expect from themselves and their miter saw? Or put another way, for this or that operation, have at it, but at such and such a point, well, then it's time to be pursuing table saw jigs or other skill sets to get where they need, want to go. Thanks again. Hope this finds you all well. Keep up keep on keeping on. Sorry, I fumbled through that a little bit, but I think ultimately what he what he wants to know is as a novice, what are some reasonable expectations that you can have from your miter saw versus your table saw or when should you choose to go to the table saw versus going to the miter saws? Is 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 that what you guys kind of mm-hmm. uh, gathered from garnered yeah. from that question? Yeah. Okay. So, jigs aside, if I'm cutting 45s and I've got a Festool Capex, so I'm pretty confident about my 45s that I can make a picture frame. If I'm cutting 45s or uh, 22 to 22 and a half or, or 90s that are relatively long, so anything that's greater than, say, 12 inches, uh, I'm doing that on the miter saw. And it's got to be... You know, my miter saw, I can't remember. I think it's like 11 inches. 12-inch wide boards Yeah, at 45 degrees on the K-Pax. Yeah. Um, it's more the, like 10 inches. It's, it's a 10 inches, right? Yeah, it'll be 12 inches at 90, but it, yeah. it has a shorter throw at, at, at 45. Thank you. Thank you. Um, for, Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. But I'm just no, 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 no. It's okay. I have done actually very, I didn't mean to interrupt you. <laughs> I, I hate you. <laughs> I have done some acute angles, so um, you know, greater than 45 on the miter saw, but I had to do that with a jig. So I had like an acute angle jig or whatnot on the miter saw. Typically, I don't know. I I use I use the table saw a lot more than I use my miter saw. I use my miter saw if I've got a whole bunch of uh, cross cuts that I need to make, thin cross cuts that I need to make um, at a specific length. So, like for instance, if I've got to make drawer parts, I'm going to the miter saw. Um, most of my ripping operation it, operations are going to be on the table saw. Small parts. If I've got to cut small parts, cross cut small parts. I typically do that on the table saw, not on the miter saw. Uh, Guy, what are your what are your thoughts on this? The thing with miter saws, and we have we have discussed this before. Yeah, um, we have. <laughs> uh, miter saws are not designed for fine furniture. They're they're a, a tool that are mainly made for the construction trades. Now that being said. 
the only two that I'm aware of, and I haven't used the one, but I've used a lot of other ones. There's really only two that you can use and count on to make what I call furniture ready cuts, mm-hmm. true nineties and true 45s and whatever degree it is. One is the Capex, which is, you know, it's expensive. Yeah. And I've heard the Bosch glide is very good. Yeah. And that's a and, seven, $800 saw. Yeah. And the reason they're very good is they don't have deflection when you use them. What I mean right. by deflection is left or right play on the whole head when mm-hmm. you move it. So let's say you're using a DeWalt mm-hmm. or, or a Makita. I had a Makita that was, you know, like $400 that was supposed to be almost as good as a Capex. But if I stood to the left a little bit, and, you know, <laughs> using, using my right hand, if I stood a little bit to the left of it, the blade would veer off to the left. I stood a little bit to the right the blade would go a little bit to the right. I, it, you had to be standing in a certain spot and putting certain pressure on it to get a true, perfect 90 degrees. There was just wow. no way it was going to cut 90 degrees unless you stood a certain way and held it a certain way and did all these gymnastics to get it to work right. And that was a really good miter saw. Mm-hmm. Again, they're really not designed for furniture. They're designed to be, you know, when you're, you're, you're trying to cut a two by four to frame a house. Yeah. It's more of a matter of durability than anything else. So what can you expect from it? I think that a miter saw has a lot of very good uses in the shop, you know, uh, but for cutting angles and such, and you want to get, uh, you know, really good miters and things like that, make jigs for your table sled. You'll be much better off unless mm. you fork out for a Capex. Yeah. Or, or a Bosch. Or a Bosch. Sean? Sean, I think I know how you feel on this. <laughs> yeah. we. If you go to our site and search for miter saw, you'll find all the episodes you needed that we've covered this numerous times. And but this, the information <laughs> remains the same. I don't use mine in this shop for anything other than breaking down rough lumber, which I know a lot of people don't agree with with potential kickback, but you know, I do it. And, you have a Hitachi, um, right? Yep, slider. I will use my miter. Everything else I use table saw and uh, for everything. I don't use the, once I break down rough lumber, I don't even touch the miter saw. I will use the miter saw for, you know, trim pieces and stuff like uh, baseboard and molding and crown molding and stuff in the house, because if I'm off a little bit, man, I'll just caulk that and you won't even see it. So that's what I primarily use it for. Um, because it's very easy to hide when your angles are off on in, indoor trim pieces with paint and caulking and whatnot. Uh, so it doesn't have to be dead nuts 90. It doesn't have to be perfectly 90. Um, so, um, yep, that's how I feel about the miter saws. I'm not I don't have a capex. I don't, I, I can't tell you how well it cut. I trust guy and we, what they say. So, uh, yeah, that's my feeling on the matter on, on miter saws is I just yeah. use it for rough. Yeah, I've, I had miter saw for years. I used to have a radial arm saw, which I love too. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I mean, there's a lot you can do with it, but don't expect to make your miters and stuff for furniture with it. Yeah, I would yeah. anyways. It's easy to fix angles that aren't right when you're building a house with them or cutting trim or molding. And fine furniture, it's a little bit harder to, to hide that. You need mm-hmm. perfection. Precision, mm-hmm. actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, All right. I think I got the next one. Hey, guys, I'm contemplating making a new workbench to go with my inclined vice. I like my current workbench made of Southern yellow pine, but would like to add a few features like a two piece top for clamping as well as an invice slash wagon vice. My question is would ambrosia maple be a good or bad material choice for a workbench from my wood store. It is $3 cheaper than soft maple. I could see the color variance possibly being an issue during use and siding material. I'm not sure the holes in the material would be that problematic. What says you get, what says you guys? Thanks, Ryan. I, I have, I currently have a poplar, um, workbench, so I'm, I'm not, 
I, I, mine's pretty soft. Um, but you know, ambrosia maple for the folks that, that aren't aware of what it is, it's soft maple, um, that has little ambrosia beetles that bore little holes in it and leave a fungus in there. And it turns, it causes some streaking of grayish blue and brown streaks in the maple. Some yeah. people say it doesn't disturb the, the, neither the fungus or the holes disturb the integrity of the wood. I've had some pretty rough amb- ambrosia maple where I've had it eat through the edge of the board and cause some of the board, the, the lumber to, or some of the edge pieces to, to like crack off. So I've had some of that, but if it's in the middle of the board, I've not had too much uh, issues with that. I've not, I've had, mm-hmm. I've had really good luck with it. And I've had a couple of boards that were pretty rough because of the, this, maybe it wasn't because of this, maybe just bad lumber, but you know, as far as using it for a workbench, I, I see no issues with it at all. I mean, it's if it's cheaper than soft maple, it's it's a, got a Janka hardness of I think nine forty. Obviously, that's that's how you pop it. Janka Hanka what? A Janka. I think that's how they say that. At least they do in uh, Kentucky. Uh, it's the hardness of it nine forty. Poplar was like four fifty. Um, I wouldn't. The, the holes are going to be super super tiny, so I wouldn't. I don't think that that's going to mess with anything. You're going to be flipping these boards over on their edge anyway. So what I would say is when you're picking your lumber, try to look at the edges of the boards to see if uh, you see any, anything that's you know messing with the integrity of it, or if you see anything that looks so glaringly obvious that you're, that you, you think it's going to cause issues. Um, but I think yeah. you can, I think using ambrosia maple would be perfectly fine for this, especially the fact that you're getting a $3 cheaper per board foot than soft maple. Cause this is soft maple with some, bug fungus in it, beetle fungus. I don't think it'll work perfectly fine. Uh, just be picky when you're picking your boards and be, be on the lookout for any integrity issues. But yep. Yeah. I give you a thumbs up, Ryan. I think it's a good, a good deal. Uh, guy, what about you? What is your, what is your thoughts uh, on using ambrosia? I, I say, I say you're fine with it. It, it look to me, it look a little busy. Yeah. On I the edge. Se- What's that? Well, just in general, because it's, if the whole thing was made out of spalted maple. Ambrosia maple. Yeah, same. Uh, um, anyways, so ambrosia maple. I just think it might be visually speaking, it might be a little bit busy. Yeah, yeah. that's all I'm saying. No, I, 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 th- I, th- I think as a material, it'd be fine. Mm-hmm. Whatever floats your boat, man. Yep. Yeah. I wouldn't worry about the holes or no you know, siding. No, there, it, there's, and you're right. There's some some. Parts of that are going to be punkier than others. In other words, softer and yeah, uh, to the point of almost crumbling in some some places. Y- yes, um, mm-hmm. but um, you just have to be careful picking your boards, and you're you're going long grain on the top, anyways. I would hope mm-hmm. so, or edge grain. So uh, and I would hope that you'd be flipping the boards up just like you would any other board. So it's going to be pretty tough. Uh, uh, the the Jenka hardness scale is a good indicator of that. Soft maple, people say, oh, it's soft. No, that's <laughs> soft maple is really hard. Um, but anyways, yeah, I think it'd be a good choice. It's 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 a it's just you're going to have to you have to really like it to make a whole bunch out of it. To me, it would be too busy, but. Yeah. I, I think if you can get past mm-hmm. the busyness, I think, I think it's fine. Yeah. Um, Maybe you can get lucky and find the ones that the edges don't have a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't a lot of people like the look of Cortison white Oak. I don't. I love it. I think it looks busy as hell. I, I, I don't. I don't like it. <laughs> but that's. But again, that's me. It's a personal choice. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it'd be the same thing with this. I think. It, I think the structurally speaking, it'd be all right. I'm sorry, I cut Hui off. No, it's okay. a lot. Lot to you tonight, haven't I? We. I apologize. <laughs> I want to do it once. Dang it! Can you can you forgive me, Hui? You're forgiven. Oh, thank You're, you. I'm. I'll be gracious. So. <laughs> It's no big deal. I, I don't really have much to add with for that. I mean, you guys have said um, what needs to be said. Uh, yeah, it's not. It shouldn't be a problem. Uh, again, well, let's 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 go let's go one step further with this. Then that I interrupted you again. <laughs> <laughs> what about if just really quick? 
you know, we all, all three of us have work workbenches we made. If you could make it again, what material would you make it out of? Uh, I'll go first. And mine would be uh, cherry. A workbench? Really? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, it looked great. I was just like, huh. I'm, lo- I'm looking at my lumber prices here. I can get, because uh, they're on my desk. I mean, I can get, it's either five quarter or eight quarter poplar for $5 a board foot or or spend five fifty a board foot for uh, eight quarter cherry. So it's like, that's that's literally the cheapest lumber that I can get from the local place. So it's that's it's easy. All about price, Sean. Of of course. Okay. Are we? Are, what's our limit of money? All right. I'll do eight quarter walnut then. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> no, cherry would look amazing once it gets some it sun on it. Yeah. yeah I, it just lo- I just love dark cherry like that. Yeah. Sorry, but Will that's you? my vote. Vote. Uh, babinga. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all about if the I money. Could, if I could, babinga everything. No, it'd be too hard. Uh, I made my workbench out of hard maple, and man, it is just—it was a beast to work with. I mean, it was just—it's fine. I mean, I know it's typical—you—you don't want to make it out of hard maple. It's too hard. It's gonna bruise all your eh, whatever. If I uh, maybe soft maple because it's a little easier to work with. Out of anything, Um, you choose soft maple. Come on, because it's cheap. It's cheaper. There's that money thing again. Money, money, money. Man, cherry is the same. Pr- really, I'm su- I'm shocked. Yep, that's crazy. It's fifty cents more. That's why I was like, I was blown away how expensive poplar's gotten. At least yeah, my a- ash is expensive here. Ash is gotten ash is going away here. Yeah, it's gotten expensive. You can't even. I mean, if you can find it, <laughs> well, we've got a really good supply. It's lo- it's a local wood for us. So the, the, the lumber yards here have tons of it, but they're running out. And when they run out, that's going to be it. Yeah. What about you guy? What you made yours out of soft maple, didn't you? No, mine's made out of ash. Oh, okay. Um, I like working with ash. It's, it's very dried properly. I, I find it to be very stable. It's very mm-hmm. easy to work with. Um, anyways, if I had to do, if I had it to do over again, I'd probably make the top either hard maple or soft maple, mm-hmm. and I'd make the legs out of cherry because I, mm-hmm. I like the look. To me, it'd be it, it, it's all about the look. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I think that would be a, that's a good combination. I really like the look of cherry and ash together mm. but since i already have an ash table or <laughs> work table workbench uh i have to pick something else so that's what yeah. i do okay i guess well, i have the last question that's right this comes from chris and chris says gentlemen love your podcast and i've listened to every episode nice keep up the great work my question is about fence length he's talking about table saw fence length right Currently, the saw I own is a 1980 Delta Unisaw with a 52-inch fence. I purchased this new in 1980. I am retiring this year after I sell my company. Well, good for you, Chris. My wife wants to purchase me a new saw stop because I'm always complaining about the dust collection on my old saw. She wants me, or she wants to buy me the saw stop industrial saw. I love tools. Well, yeah. And wanted to know, do I want the 36 or 52 inch fence? Um, I think I can count on one hand the number of times I, I used the additional length on my current fence. And was just wondering, do you guys have the 36 or 52 inch fence assembly? Is it worth having the larger fence? Normally, I just have stuff sitting on it. Second question is for Guy. That's, that's me. As I'm in my late 60s and my skin is quite dry, I'm not that old, (laughs) getting there, and I use lotion regularly. I've heard you talk about using gloves in the shop. What type of gloves do you use and why are you happy with them? And one last thing, guy at 5'8", I love my Laguna bandsaw. The table height is perfect for me. So he's short. 
Um, well, he puts a smiley face in there. Yeah, he's, 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 he's giving you a little jab. Um, I'm going to ask. I'm going to answer the last question first. I I buy gloves off of Amazon. They're uh, Vigo, V I G O. I think huh. I get three pairs for it's like twenty or twenty five dollars, and they have leather hands on them and an elastic outside. They breathe really well. Uh, they're very colorful. So I usually get the bright colored ones, the orange ones or the yellow ones, because that way I can see my hands, you know, in relationship to the saw blades and stuff. And mm-hmm. they have a really good tight fit on my fingers, but not too yeah. tight. So yeah. they're not, um, they're not loose. It's yeah. the best way to describe it. And I, I really like those gloves. And I don't know what the, the brand is. It's V-I-G-O on yeah. Amazon. You buy them in packs of three. In regards to the 52-inch and the 36-inch fence, I, I think, Chris, you kind of answered the question yourself. Yep. Because you said you bought this saw new in 1980. That was a long time ago. That's 42 years. And the 42 years you've had that saw – you can count on one hand the number of times you've used the 52-inch width. What I was talking about, if, in case somebody doesn't know, it's not the length of the saw. It's the, the length of travel between the fence and the saw blade. So you can cross, cross something, or not cross cut something, but you can rip something 52 inches, up to 52 inches wide on this thing uh, between the fence and the blade. I, I've never had anything that big. I've always had the 32 or the 36 inch or a 30 inch fence. So mm-hmm. I've never had that luxury. And you know what, to be honest with you, I, the only time I've ever needed anything bigger than that is when I'm, when I'm breaking down plywood. Right. And for some reason I need a piece more than 32 inches wide. Um, yeah, but we all use track saws. But now I have a track saw, so it's it's irrelevant. Yeah. And I don't cut it. I don't use my track saw to cut down it, cut it down and break it down. I cut it to its final width and dimensions. Mm-hmm. One time with the track saw. I know we don't want. It's not about track saws. The question isn't about that. But I guess the the thing is, you know, what would you? What do you really need the fifty two inches for? That's really the question. Yeah. If you have a use for it, a specific use for it, let's say you're making something, you know, and it, it, I'm, I'm going to be 58 in a month. And already I, I, the way I work, I try not to lift anything. I use leverage to do everything. Even in my home shop here, I have my plywood stored in a certain area that I can take a, a sheet of plywood off from where I store it put it on my bench, get it on my bench without lifting it. I just lean it and pick up one side. It's very light. You know what I mean? I use a, right. I use leverage to get everything. And then I break it down with a track saw. I used to at one time take, you know, full size four by eight sheets of MDF and pick it up and put it on my table saw and cut it. I can't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I really have absolutely no use for a 52 inch table. That being said, you can take that 52 inch table and depending on how big your shop is, you can repurpose that and put a router lift in it. Yes. And use that as your router table. So you can have your cake and eat it too, I guess, where you can Mm -hmm. use that as your, in case you, you know, and the next 40 years, you need to, to use that thing for the for the width. You can have the width, but now you've also got a place for a router table. So Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's something to consider. So I have a 52-inch fence, and that is the only reason why I have the 52-inch fence is because I have the router table on the right of it. But the truth is that I did not need the 52-inch fence to put the router table to the right of it. It... I, the, I see what you're saying. The reason why you might use is because you might use the fence of the table saw for your router table. Is that correct? You could, sure. Yeah, okay. Yeah, 
Um, I, I just have an attachment on the side and right. Um, I actually have a separate, uh, router table fence to the right of the table saw itself. And, um, I got the 52 inch fence cause I thought I would need to be able to, at the time I didn't have a track saw, um, use that length to process sheet goods on the table saw. And just like you guy, now that I have a track saw, I don't process plywood on the table saw. So John, you're a young strapping lad. It's, uh, you, you know, pick up that piece of plywood and move it around if you don't have to. No, it's, it's and, yeah. And, and, and I don't know. It's, I, I never feel really safe taking a big sheet onto the table. saw. it just doesn't feel safe to do it. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I just don't, I didn't, doesn't feel comfortable for me. Uh, Sean, do you have the, do you have the, the 36 inch? Yeah, I do. I have the 36 inch. Um, I've never even, I've never had a 52. I never had access to a 52. So obviously I'm, I never, I don't know what I'm missing, but I, yeah. I just can't imagine picking up a full sheet of three quarter inch plywood or MDF and running through the table saw. You know, it's the same principle in my mind, like you're using a router, you know, take the tool to the piece when it's that big and use a track saw if you have it. So that gets my vote 36 and, you know, look for a reason to buy you a track saw with all the little accessories for that. Yeah. And yeah, save your back. But if, you, if shop space was at a premium, can you see the advantage of putting your router table in it? Or that's just not a thing for you. I like having a separate router table myself, but there are some people that would say, you know, oh, I can put my router table in there. Um, well, I don't, yeah, I, I don't have a separate router table. I don't have the room, but I definitely see the allure of putting it in there. Um, you know, you Chris, a separate router table? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Your router table separate from your table yeah. saw, right? Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. Um, Chris has the room now for a 52, so I don't know if he has access to all sides of it, so he may be able to make that work and put a router table in it, um, like you're saying, Guy. But, yep, my vote's 36 and buy a buy a pretty cool track saw set up for the sheet goods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I think that's it. I hope that it answers is. your questions, Chris, about that and our thoughts. So... Um, I think that's going to do it for the the show. We would like to thank everyone who left us a five-star review on iTunes. It really does help us in the search rankings. And of course, we appreciate the support and feedback. Please remember this podcast is here to answer questions from the woodworking community. Like I said, please send your questions in. And if you have woodworking questions you'd like answered, you can send them through the podcast contact page at woodshoplifepodcast.com or DM us through Instagram at woodshoplife. I can be reached on YouTube and Instagram at Guy's Woodshop. And uh, where can you be found, Wee? AlabamaWoodworker.com. You can find everything there that you want to see about my socials and whatnot. And Sean, where can we find you? At Simple Cove on social media and SimpleCove.com. All right. Uh, That was a good show, guys, and uh, I guess we'll talk to you again in a couple weeks. Talk to you in a couple. We'll see you. See you.